David Taylor is president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. But PMA, as it is known, is about much more than just manufacturing. As someone who also earned a college degree in history and is doing something other than teaching school, uh, David has become a strong advocate for the values and the principles that make America unique in the history of mankind. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. And as I was going into Trogues Brewing, uh, I ran into the 40th president. Uh, amazing. I thought he had passed away, but here he was uh, drinking a beer. Uh, well, Mr. President. Yes, Matt. I, I have been known to, um, well, to raise a pint every, uh, every once in a while. Well, I'm glad you're here in Pennsylvania because, uh, you know, the last time a president won here, it was, well, you won in 80, 84, yes. and then your, your uh, uh, the, you know, Bush followed well, you yes. and won again, and then we had a really long drought. Well, you know that uh, the GOP has been, well, um, in, the, um, in the wilderness, as it were, but, uh, well, you know, those timeless ideals of limited government and personal responsibility and free enterprise, well... They were bound to come back around. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Mr. President, for joining me here on Brews and Views. This is just fantastic. Well, thank you, Matt, and God bless you, and God bless America. <laughs> well, uh, of course, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, this, is, uh, this is where uh, Dave Taylor, David Taylor, uh, President and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, uh, Dead Ringer, uh, this is where your dramatic arts degree just comes in. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I promised mom and dad it was going to pay off someday, so there's the proof. Well, uh, yes, uh, of course, David Taylor, he is president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, founded in 1909. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, it represents uh, the manufacturing sector here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yes, that's right. Um, that manufacturing is the, it's the sector that adds the most value because um, no matter what it is that you're making, a manufacturer is going through a multi-stage process, taking raw materials or component parts to yield a finished good. And so um, manufacturing has the strongest multiplier effect on job creation. Um, Manufacturing adds about $87 billion worth of value to Pennsylvania's economy year over year. It's about 565,000 jobs on the plant floor and a direct supervision of that workforce. But that that core manufacturing activity on the plant floor sustains millions of additional mm -hmm. Pennsylvania jobs in supply chains and distribution networks and vendors of industrial services. So, you know, this is why our, our leaders, our government decision makers, need to appreciate the value of our sector um, and, again, the, the, the critical role that it has in upholding prosperity. Well, we're seeing it right here at Trogues, a manufacturer of beer. That's uh, for which sure. Which That's we are, for sure. Yeah, and we've seen, I mean, you and I live in this area here, so we've seen uh, this little brewery that started in Harrisburg, moved out to Hershey here, and this place has just expanded uh, uh, yeah. by, by about massive amounts. Yeah, it really is. And we're at, at PMA, we are very proud to um, to be allied with the Brewers of Pennsylvania, which is the, the trade association representing the people who make beer in Pennsylvania. And they're really good folks. And, um, and yeah, it's wonderful kind of the character of each of these different yeah, uh, brewing right. companies and the uh, their tap rooms and the personalities and styles. And certainly that the, the Trogues has been a real... Um, a real success story, a great success story for Central Pennsylvania. 
Absolutely. Well, Dave, before well, we get into a lot of the stuff that you're doing at the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, uh, talk about how you ended up uh, getting to Harrisburg because you're a Huntington boy, right? Yes, uh, yeah, that's right. A little ways away in, from here. In uh, in Huntington, Pennsylvania, uh, um, about halfway between Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, out in the Altoona State College area. And, um, you know, I my, my family, I come from... Um, you know, a long line of lawyers and judges, uh, but people who were, uh, you know, uh, involved with, you know, the political process uh-huh. and our elected officials and all that stuff. So certainly uh, many dinner table conversations with my dad and, um, and, and tagging along with him. In fact, in 1976, when I was a little boy, I was seven years old, that my dad was one of only four Pennsylvanians who ran and won as committed delegates for Governor Reagan for president at the, the 1976 convention in Kansas City. And I remember going door to door with huh. my dad <laughs> as he was uh, getting petitions signed and handing out leaflets. And, and so, um, so yeah, when I graduated from, from college in 1990, long time ago now, but I went to, uh, went to Washington, D.C., and I worked for Bush 41. Uh, at the uh, GOP National Committee. The president, of course, was supposed to get reelected. Yep, Not right. a lot of people remember <laughs> that, but yeah. So um, when he got uh, uh, when he got beat, that we all were, you know, cashed out and sent home, and and that was when I came to Harrisburg the first time. Okay, and uh, the first time uh, you ended up where? Well, it, that was in 1993, and I worked. Um, I worked in the state senate. I was uh-huh. a staffer for uh, John Shoemaker of Dauphin County. God rest his soul, a good man. Um, and then an opportunity came along to work for the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference, which was the was and is the um, you know pro growth uh, grassroots taxpayer organization in Pennsylvania. And that was where I first met Mr. Anton. Uh huh. And uh, I know you also spent some time with uh, U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. Yes, that's right. In '94, uh, when I was working for uh, the leadership conference, in my all of my spare time, <laughs> I volunteered for uh, for Congressman Rick Santorum on his U.S. Senate bid. And uh, certainly because I was an RNC veteran, even though I was still, you know, really young, at least I had some right. national level experience, and so I got to be you know, trusted as kind of like the senior volunteer in the mid-state, and that meant, you know, driving Rick around in the car a lot, which is how <laughs> I got to know him, and how I came to beat 5,000 resumes to be a member of his first U.S. Senate staff. Well, so uh, you, you've spent a lot of time around politics, in politics, uh, but you've spent spent the majority of your time uh, with the Pennsylvania manufacturers. I have. It's over two decades now. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's probably... Uh, a little crazy to think. Uh, that you've well, been there that it is long. kind of wild. I guess we know what I'm going to be when I grow up. <laughs> um, but it's a great fit for me. And yes, I came on board with the association in '97, and it's been it's been a really great experience for me. And as sort of a you know a full spectrum Reagan kind of conservative, it, it, it's interesting that the the pro growth uh, set of issues, the pro business part of it was kind of the last thing that I got to, uh-huh. that I had always been much more of a, a national security type conservative. Mm-hmm. And that, those were the issues that I handled in the U.S. Senate that I was, I mean, again, I was the yeah. junior aide. I wasn't important or yeah. anything, but it was <laughs> armed services, uh, foreign relations, uh, intelligence, those kinds of things. But, um, but being with the Manufacturers Association, it's been a great experience, and it really has given me 
I think, a much better perspective on day-to-day -day living. And I think it's something that, that we all really need to, to come to grips with. It's the, and again, I was expensively educated at a liberal <laughs> arts college, and I'm a theater major. A history, so yes, history and, and, and theater, <laughs> so like, I'm lucky to have a job at all. And it makes me the least likely you know, advocate for that Mike Rowe kind of message. And yet, it's true. Yeah. Like the makers and the doers who, who, who put in the hours, who, who, who have those skills, who do that work, they're the ones who uphold our civilization. And, you know, I mean, Matt, the free enterprise system has brought to us, you know, this very high and ever-rising quality of life. And there are all these different systems of delivery that provide to us these goods and services, all these things that make our lives clean and safe and comfortable and mm -hmm. convenient. And... And again, it, part of that consumer experience is that, that the systems are rendered invisible mm -hmm. to the point where we don't even think about yeah, them anymore. Right. We take it for granted in we, many and, ways. Yeah, and yeah. that's the downside. Yes. That's the downside is that you know we come home and we flick the light switch yeah. and we think yeah. we turned the lights on. It's like, <laughs> no, all you did was close a circuit that was wired into your house by an electrician using materials that were manufactured by manufacturing workers at a factory someplace, and that that circuit connects you to the power lines that were hung by a lineman to connect you to the power plant, which again was built and staffed and serviced, and somebody had to mine the aggregates to make the concrete to build the power plant, and on and on uh -huh, and on. Uh -huh. and, and then the, the energy to fuel that well, and on that, an ongoing basis. And, and, yes. that's, and that's exactly right. And so all these invisible systems make our very comfortable modern life possible but because we have stopped appreciating the people who do the work and all those different inputs, all the, all the investment and all the, all the risk to bring about the innovations that yielded all of these things, it's, it's brought us to a point where um, it's almost like we're amnesiacs. Yeah. Like yeah. the world is supposed to be this way, and we just kind of—it just kind of happened. Well, that's not the case. That's not it at all. Well, it's like the—I uh, think it was a sign uh, held by a protester in the, the city of Pittsburgh, where uh, the person had a sign that says, "I'm not using coal. I'm using electricity." Uh, and it's that—that's <laughs> the amnesia of like, well, how did how did uh, you know? Of course, at that time, this was many yes. years ago. Yes, we were primarily fight. You know, our our electricity was coming through coal-fired power yes. plants. Now, yes. today, we've got a, a great diversity, and I want to get into the natural gas because I know that's a, a big area for you. Um, but how is Pennsylvania doing in terms of its uh, hospitality for manufacturers? Is this a place that manufacturers are growing, expanding, relocating? Are we, are, are we seeing uh, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, the well, I guess the, the ability to, to maintain uh, that manufacturer, because you go back in our history, right? Right. I mean, our history is replete with uh, manufacturing as oh, yes. the basis and uh, the powerhouse in the country. How are we doing? Well, I mean, I think it is important to note, as, as you said, that, that there was a time when Pennsylvania coal and steel and rail ruled the world. Yeah. That, that, um, Not just know, America, the world. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. There was a time when the, it was around the turn of the previous century, 1900, that if Pennsylvania had been an independent nation, we would have been the third largest economy on earth behind Britain yeah. and the rest of the United yeah. States. So certainly 
And this is and this this is the the question, Matt. The key question is competitiveness, and this is this is PMA's mission. How well does Pennsylvania stack up relative to our neighbor states, other industrial states, to to earn the investment of the private sector? Because we live in a world where you know talent and capital is more mobile than it has ever been, and that these are all voluntary decisions. You know, the state cannot compel right, people. Right. To you know, to bring their money and 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 not the yet, jobs at least. Not here. Yet. There's some that would like to. They uh, think <laughs> they can, but they can't. Right. You can. What is the saying? You can ignore the laws of economics, but you cannot annul them. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, as it stands, Pennsylvania, while we still, we still have a lot to fight for. The tragedy is that we have only grown at a fraction of the mm. national average year after year, decade after decade. It's like, how sad is it that we aspire to mediocrity? Yeah. Like, if we could only grow at the national average, how much further ahead we would be. But that being said, Matt, in the very recent past, the last couple of quarters, Pennsylvania has actually grown at the national rate. So, like, there are signs of life. Like, it can be done. Well, where do you see this, David? Uh, where do you see Pennsylvania's uh, opportunity for the future? that uh, we will be able to uh, bring back uh, or just grow and, and I guess maintain a lot of uh, what you're talking about here if this is a good thing. Well, I mean, I would say that there are uh, several innate advantages that Pennsylvania has that are not going away. And, you know, certainly we, we remain the keystone state, which means that we have great access yeah. to market and that that's, that's a big competitive advantage. Also, um, you know, we have really mature uh, financial institutions, institutions of higher learning. Uh, we have pretty good logistic yeah, yeah. infrastructure. We have the, the biotechnology yeah. and life sciences, pharmaceuticals. You know, there's there's a lot that we have um, that that puts us in a positive position. The problem, the problem, in my opinion, is the failure of our government leaders to respect the role that the private sector plays. And in particular, I mean, it's like with many things, Matt, there are answers that are simple, but yeah. they're not easy. Right, right. Like if you want to lose weight, you have to <laughs> expend more calories per day than you take in. It's a very easy, easy it's a very simple, <laughs> simple ratio, but it's not easy. In the same way, when government spends money faster than people can earn it, it suffocates growth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we've seen in Harrisburg year after year, decade after decade, that's caused this, this, this slow growth. Mm -hmm. And so spending restraint has to come first. Um, and there's a whole menu of other things that we need to work on. But in terms of the, the most promising opportunity for the manufacturing sector, again, one of the great commonalities of manufacturing is that no matter what it is that you're making, when you go through that multi-stage process, you're consuming a lot of energy. And for manufacturers, for, for many manufacturers, uh, energy is their number one cost yeah. input. And so Pennsylvania's natural gas revolution, to, to, to be able to access the trillions of cubic feet of natural gas under, under our feet, to bring that to the surface for use with um, industrial furnaces, with, um, with generating electricity, and of course for, for home heating and cooking. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a real boon to Pennsylvania. And furthermore, well, depending where you are in Pennsylvania, the gas comes out of the ground differently. So in northeastern Pennsylvania, it comes out of the ground pure methane, pure natural gas. 
and so it's ready for those uses I described. In western Pennsylvania, that methane comes out of the ground with a bunch of other really good stuff. Ethane, butane, pentane, propane, and natural gasoline. Those are feedstocks for petrochemical manufacturing. We can make stuff out of that. Yeah. And, and the list is, I mean, it's ginormous, right? Oh, it's, I mean, yes. it, it is unbelievable how much of what we use, what we're sitting on, what's over our, I mean, everything yes. uh, comes from these products. Yes. Every kind, like the, the value chain from ethylene, if yeah. you've heard about the cracker plant in Manaka Beaver County that Royal Dutch Shell is building, that th that facility, which is gonna be like $6 billion when it's all done, that is gonna take the, the ethane, crack a hydrogen molecule off of it and turn it into ethylene. Ethylene is at the top of a value chain that depending on how you process it, can yield every kind of plastic, styrofoam, rubber, every kind of paint and glaze and solvent and coating and adhesive, glazing. Like, there is a cornucopia of products that can come from this, and there are similar value chains for those other chemicals, too. So, you know, again, this is spectacular, but, but <laughs> we have to optimize conditions for growth. We have to act like we really want this kind of investment because West Virginia and Ohio, that they have they have that opportunity as well. And if we don't get it right, I mean, we're not gonna capture it all, and we shouldn't. I mean, yeah. there's gonna be synergy sure. down the Ohio River Valley, but again, depending on which state gets the policy environment right, they're gonna get the lion's share of that growth. Well, so it's basically, if we don't screw this thing up, <laughs> we, could, we could really be uh, the Keystone State and in the world, yes, uh, by maximizing what we have right beneath us, what yes. the Creator uh, delivered to us, a gift. Yes. Uh, and so it really comes down to the political environment. That's why PMA is involved in politics because uh, a lot of the folks that can determine our future uh, can send us the way of, say, Illinois. Oh my uh, right or yes. Connecticut, yes. or we go uh, a different way, say uh, uh, Texas or some of the other southern states that are adopting public policies that embrace uh, this well, kind of growth. Absolutely, and you know the the one that I would point to is the two states that I would point to as being key competitors to Pennsylvania. You know, it's not it's not enough that we are slightly less bad than New York and New right. Jersey. Like for many people in Harrisburg, yeah. so long as yeah. we're slightly less bad than New York and New Jersey, that we're okay. No, we've got a benchmark against high-performing states, and they're not that far away. And I would point to Indiana and North Carolina as being two really good manufacturing states yeah. um, that have done a lot of the right, a lot of the right things. In fact, you mentioned Illinois, which of course is on the brink of insolvency. Yeah. That if you look at the policy decisions made in Springfield versus Indianapolis since the financial crisis and you look at the diverging paths yeah. those states have taken in terms of population investment economic growth it's like night and day mm. and that and then again that the kind of indiana you know mitch daniels mike pence agenda really does work if you take that long term approach of you know not just to get through this year's budget but to say what will put us on a firm foundation for sustained broad-based yeah. growth going forward in time? Well, shifting gears just a little bit, David, because one of the things that I've uh, greatly appreciated about PMA, and when I compare to other states and manufacturing association, is that you've really taken a holistic view of things. It's not just manufacturing, but there's a lot of other things that impact 
uh, manufacturing decisions, whether it's education or the welfare uh, state, all of those things that, that PMA hasn't been shy to weigh in on important things. I mean, education is so important to you that you're a board member of a cyber charter school, recognizing that this is a, yes. an opportunity that we need to make sure that yes. uh, we allow for a choice to flourish in education. Well, and, and it actually, there, there are a couple of different levels to this. I mean, number one, you know, Pennsylvania is one of the top spenders when it comes to taxpayer yep. dollars for public K through 12. It's like something north of $28 billion every year. Um, and that unfortunately, all too often, our kids do not receive the kind of challenging, you know, meaningful, rigorous educational experience that they need to prepare them to be prepared for, for future uh, success, including success in the workplace. And this is why PMA has long supported education reform, including school choice, our education improvement tax credit yep. scholarship program, and charter schools. And uh, again, to that end, I one of the things I do in the community is that I serve as the volunteer school board president for one of Pennsylvania's uh, virtual charter schools. Because again, the point of the exercise is that we need to reach each kid at his or her current level of ability and help that kid to reach the fullness of his or her God-given potential. Well, and that's that's what uh, I know that you, you, you believe that and you embrace that. Uh, and you were telling me a story uh, about uh, the commencement yes. uh, recently. Well, and I mean, th- and this is this is where it gets. It's not just a generalization, but this is where it gets down to. It does. Uh, it it gets. People. It gets personal, and yeah. you know that that my school reached Cyber Charter School. It is computer enabled learning, and um, and it delivers those services to the students where they are. Mm-hmm. And so we really do reach. We have a uh, over. 3,300 students right now, um, including almost 600 in in the city of Philadelphia, but we're in all 67 counties, and that we are, you know, delivering services to these students who need it. And and I would just say as an aside, that the students who come to us, the families who come to us, they do so because there's some kind of crisis, whether there's a specific learning challenge that needs to be overcome, or or that that it may be that their student is in a school where they do not feel safe because of, you know, whether it's it's gangs or bullying or drugs or peer pressure or what have you. Yeah. And so... They're not happy where they're the, the assigned school district, correct. right? And so correct. they're looking for correct. an alternative that they believe will be better. Correct. And so, so anyway, so yes, so this, the, the kids, we have a lot of field trips and activities during the year, but we had our first graduating class and we held an in-person commencement for it, and that I had the great honor of being the the commencement speaker for the first nice. class. And so, for each of those kids, that I, you know, that I shook each kid's hand and looked them in the eyes, and you know, you you you, you want to talk about the great breadth of the diversity of Pennsylvania, and that you know that there were kids, there were rural white kids who arrived, you know, via pickup truck. Um, With gun racks in the back. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and Trump stickers on the bumpers. <laughs> um, but you also had um, city kids. There were at least two um, African-American Muslim girls from Philadelphia with, with their headscarves. There were several, um, there were t- at least two young mothers and one young father who crossed the stage holding their babies huh. to, to pick up their, their diplomas. Their, their, wow. And so it's wow. like, 
again, you look at these kids and they're wildly different backgrounds, but the one thing they all had in common was they needed something different yeah. than what was on offer at the local zip code-based public school. And so, again, those kids, they all deserve, they all deserve that educational experience that's going to prepare them for success in life. And, you know, one of the one of the things that drives me up a wall, you know, you've got the, the advocates, the, you know, the enemies of reform who are trying to take away these choices and these opportunities and these, these schools from kids. And they say, well, you know, that the charter schools aren't accountable. Right. Well, I'll tell you <laughs> what, we have the ultimate accountability, which is that if parents are not happy with the performance of our school, they get to take their kid and the, and money, the money goes That's with right. them. That's right. And so, you know, it's just we need to break down the, the, the ideological dogmas around all this, that it, it, it ought not to be about systems of delivery. It ought to be about the students and the experiences that they are having and whether or not it, it's reach, again, helping them to reach the fullness of their potential. And also, the you know, again, the students, they are experiencing their lives in real time. Yeah, yeah. And so when people say, oh, well, I have a five-year plan to yeah. fix the schools, it's like, <laughs> well, that's, you know, for the kids who are there right now. We're that's, losing generations. That's, that's what we've been That's doing. correct. Yeah. And so, anyway, so this is this is an area where, again, that the association has has long been, um, you know, in in this policy area, making a stand to say this isn't this isn't only about you know the ROI. This is also yeah, about yeah. the workforce. This the is also capital. about the, yeah. the the competitiveness of Pennsylvania um, by having enough qualified new hires to fully staff our economy. Yeah. Well, and I know David that this uh, stems from. Uh, Fred Anton, who uh, had become president uh, back in 1976 when, when both of us were seven years old. Yes. Uh, and uh, the legacy that he left, uh, you know, uh, passed away uh, almost two years ago as, as we're recording. Uh, but he really uh, influenced this holistic approach that, yeah, we're about manufacturing, uh, but we understand that this is a much bigger picture, bigger battle than just fighting for our members uh, 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 you know business interests and yes. uh, I know for me there isn't anybody in Harrisburg that I owe more to than Fred Anton because of the role that he played in helping me come along as a new guy in 2002 and uh, assuming a new role and him coming alongside and I I know he did the same with you and passed the baton to you the confidence that he had uh, to uh, say David continue carrying this uh, don't screw it up, right? <laughs> as we as we know, he would expect he uh, he expected uh, high performance. Um, but uh, you know, Fred Anton absolutely is somebody. Uh, th he's been called the godfather of all the conservative organizations, and I know he's had a hand in. Uh, you talked about the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference. I know he was there at the founding of Commonwealth Foundation, where I came in. Uh, he certainly uh, encouraged me and uh, uh, helped me as I moved on to Commonwealth Partners. Uh, but uh, what, what would you say to folks who didn't know uh, Mr. Anton? Is, as I called him for many, many years. Yes. Right? Because uh, until he invited me to, to call him Fred, yes. he was Mr. Anton to me because he absolutely was, uh, you know, a very powerful, influential, but an incredibly kind and generous man yes. at the same time. And the... the and that was the sort of surprising thing about the boss was that he had 
a very gruff exterior, <laughs> that he was an intimidating presence. He was very tall. Can, can he uh, come here? Uh, are Dave. You... <laughs> Fred Anton. So he would, he would, you know, he had this very gruff demeanor, and 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 and, but but yet, and also, you know, he had, I think, an appropriate level of cynicism regarding politics yeah. and politicians. Yeah. But, you know, once once you got to know him, he really was an exceptionally kind and gracious and thoughtful and gentlemanly yeah. person. And that, yes, that, that more than just, you know, profit and loss of one particular industry, he was focused on the long-term well-being yeah. of Pennsylvania and all Pennsylvanians. That, um, you know, that Mr. Anton, he did not suffer fools gladly, <laughs> uh, although he did have to put up with a lot of nonsense along the way. Um, but he was, I mean, he was a legend. And it was it was an honor to to know him, yep. to work for him, to learn from him, and you know I I, I miss him terribly, but I, I I am confident that we are we remain on yes. the path. Yes, you know that he set for no us, doubt. no doubt, and that we are going to keep fighting. And um, you know he you know God bless me was like we are responsible for activity, we are not responsible for results. <laughs> And like by that he meant, you know, we've got to get in there. Yeah. We got to give our best effort. We got to give everything we got, and then let the chips yeah. fall where they yeah. may. And that that is, you know, in its own way, a very tolerant, very merciful kind of approach. Because I mean, Matt, as you know better than most, this whole process yeah. of Pennsylvania state government is a Mad Hatter's tea party, <laughs> and that. You know, for anybody to go How in and say, "How he maintained his sanity and didn't uh, fall into the into the you know the the Susquehanna swamp, all of that, uh, pretty amazing." Well, and that's and I think that's yeah. the other like really important quality that I would point to, which is that you know he really did take the long view, yeah, and that true leaders, especially especially great leaders, I think that is a quality where you. You hold firm to your principles, you take the long view, and then day to day, hour by hour, like you tactically move as best you can to advance those those goals as far as possible. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and again, it's not pretty. And it's not really even very yeah. satisfying. Right, right. You know? That I wish we could say, oh, well, we can airlift in perfection and let the trumpets sound and all will be well. And it's just, it does not yeah. work that way. What, what did Jefferson say? That the cost of liberty is eternal, eternal vigilance. vigilance. That's right. Eternal vigilance. And so this is why we have to be engaged in the fight every day with our brains turned on, like trying to find how best to, you know, to advance free markets and pro-growth policies and free enterprise and individual liberty every single day. Well, I know uh, Mr. Anton would be very proud of you, Dave, how you've carried on uh, in his absence and continue to hold that banner high for not only manufacturing, but for really the good of all of Pennsylvania. No, and you. I appreciate what you do. And I thank you for coming on Brews and Views. 
It's been great to be with you, Matt. Thank you so much. All right, and folks, go to uh, pamanufacturers.org. You can learn more about uh, the Manufacturers Association and also tune in to PCN, uh, where you get PMA Perspective, where they're talking about all these things we've been talking about, uh, Dave. You're yep. looking at uh, the businesses out there, the people making stuff. Sunday mornings at 8.30. It. Sunday mornings, 8.30 PCN. Dave, thanks for coming on again. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.